following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. I'm excited. Well, how many of you were here during the Sunday school hour out here in the auditorium? Okay, all right, most of you were. And that was a very foundational message I shared this morning. Uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel from Daniel chapter 9. And I stated that you really can't understand the book of the Revelation without Daniel. You can't understand Daniel without Revelation. And we went back to the future this morning. And that's what we're going to do all week long is going back but to the future. And uh, I hope that there's a handout out there on the 70 weeks. You could get that on your way out if you don't already have it. And uh, we didn't record that message, did we, this morning, Sunday school? But anyway, that was, that was, I was going to preach it this morning. And I asked Brother Tracy if I could have Sunday school and do it then. And uh, I've changed my direction. That gives me time to put one more message in by having done that at Sunday school. But that's really the most foundational message of the entire week, what I shared during Sunday school. And uh, the message I'll share this morning and tonight will all be foundational for the rest of the week. And uh, some of the things we'll be dealing with this week, we'll be dealing with the rapture, of course. We'll be dealing with the second coming of Christ back to the earth. Those are two separate events, different events. And we'll be sharing that. We'll be dealing with the tribulation, the Antichrist, the coming world leader uh, who uh, will end up uh, taking control of the entire world as it unites uh, together under one world global government in the future. Uh, we're going to be dealing uh, a lot about Israel. Why was Israel attacked on October the 7th? Well, I'm going to show you why. One, maybe either tomorrow night or Tuesday night, one of those nights. I'm not going to tell you, that way you have to come both services. Amen? And uh, the truth is, I don't know yet which one, but anyway, we will deal with that message as well as some other things. We're going to try, we're trying to cover a lot of things in a, uh, in a short period of time. But I want to say this right now. Brother Tracy, thank you again for allowing me to be here this year. It's good to see you, church. Good to be back with you again. This is my third time to come here to First Baptist, and uh, I appreciate your pastor entrusting his pulpit uh, to me. And uh, we're calling this Back to the Future Bible uh, Prophecy Crusade. And uh, you remember, some of you will, some of you won't, but there was a movie in 1980 or 81 called Back to the Future. How many of you remember that movie? And uh, it was a secular movie, completely secular, and Back to the Future, and Michael J. Fox was a star in it, and he played the part of Marty who wanted to go back in time to when his parents were young and dating and teenagers and for various reasons. And through this crazy professor that he was friends with, he made that happen. And then he wanted to go get out of that and go back to the future through the time machine, that DeLorean car. And anyway, he was able to do that. Well, that's what book of Daniel and Revelation does as well. It takes us back to the future. All right, and this morning I'm going to, uh, we're going to start in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and before we finish this message, we'll be in chapter 22. This morning, I want to give you an overview of the entire book of Revelation. Now, don't worry, we won't be here all all day, I promise you. Uh, We're going to move through it very quickly and, uh, and highlight the things that we need to highlight 
but we're going to call it an overview of the book of Revelation. Now, for those of you who may be asking, who are wondering, that may not know me, I want to tell you up front, as I told the class this morning, I am not an expert on Bible prophecy. I don't claim to be, and but I am a student of Bible prophecy. And I've been studying it diligently for over 30 years, and I read those who are experts, all kind of different views and books, and I do lots of research continuously, and I'm always studying about it. So I'm just giving you what the Lord has shown me and taught me over the years, and I depend upon those who are much uh, wiser than I am and smarter than I am and uh, in this area. But uh, we'll cover the basics this week. Uh, on, on the end time event. So turn with me, if you will, this morning, please, to the book of the Revelation. You know, every time I preach on the book of Revelation, uh, I don't think it'll happen here, but Brother Tracy, I'll have someone come up to me, and they said, man, I'm so glad you're preaching from the book of Revelations. And I say, I, my response is always this, I've never preached from the book of Revelations in my life. In fact, it's not even in the Bible. Hello? Amen? It, it doesn't exist. It's the book of Revelation. It's not plural, it's singular. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? So I want to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 1, if you would, please. And we'll look at a lot of different verses this morning. I want to invite you, if you would, please, to stand with me out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read a few verses and pray, and then we'll move into the message. I'm glad that each one of you are here today, and I hope that you'll come back every service and bring others with you, all right? Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Look what the Bible says. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book's about. Revelation means revealing, the revealing of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. John is the human author of the book of Revelation. Remember, he was, he was put in exile out on an island, the island of Patmos, for preaching the gospel. And they left him out there to die, working in an old rock quarry. And it was on the island of Patmos when the Lord gave John the vision of things that are going to happen. And that's how the book of Revelation came about, okay? And uh, look at verse 2. Who bore record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. Now look at verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written therein. Look at the next part. For the time is what, church? It's near. It's at hand. Skip down to verse 7 in the same chapter. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they that also pierced him, that is, crucified him, and all kindreds of earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Skip down to verse 19, and here's my text for this morning's message. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, that meant during the first century during the time of this writing, and the things which shall be when? Hereafter. Later on. That's the natural outline for the book of Revelation. That's how you divide this book based on this one verse right here. Verse 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the messengers, the seven candlesticks, 
or lampstands, uh, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We're grateful for this time to be together. Thank you for the time that we already had in the Sunday school hour this morning to talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. And Father, as we move through the book of Revelation this morning, I pray you would use it to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray if there'd be even one person in this building that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's never been born again, that's never been saved, help them, Lord, to see the need to surrender their life to Christ today before it's everlastingly too late. So, Father, that's our prayer. We pray that you'll save the lost. We pray that you'll draw your people closer to you. We'll fall more in love with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, over the years, I've heard a lot of people say, well, preacher, I really don't want to study the book of Revelation because it's just too complicated. And while I certainly have not figured it all out either myself, I can say this, uh, having preached through the book of Revelation verse by verse, I know at least three times before, uh, I can say this, friends, that the book of Revelation is very organized in a very systematic book. And if you understand some basic things about it, then you can read it and you can interpret it and you can get a pretty good grasp upon it. Now, like myself, you won't ever understand everything about it. I don't understand everything about it. That's the mystery of it, amen? That's that's the mystery of it. But I believe the Lord wants us to have a basic understanding because it's his plan for the future. As I've already mentioned, it has a natural outline in the book, chapter 1, verse 19. I hope you underline that in your Bible or highlight that uh, in your Bible. And that's how the book is to be divided. And that's what my outline will be based on this morning. Now, I love to read the book of Revelation. I love to study the book of Revelation. And I want to tell you why. It tells us who's going to win in the end. Amen. Right now, if you look at the world, you say, man, the devil is winning. He is having victory, and it sure does appear that way. Amen? But, friend, I'm telling you, in the end, Jesus will win. So you want to make sure that you're on the right side, all right? So let's consider the book of Revelation this morning as I give you an overview or a run through the book of Revelation. If you're ready, say amen. Okay, all right. First of all, here's my first point, the things which you have seen. Okay, we're taking that from verse 19, all right. And he's talking about chapter 1 there. Well, what has he seen? John saw a vision of the glorified Christ. That's what that's about. He saw a vision of the glorified Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. And he says, write the things which you have seen. Well, he did that in chapter 1. And if you read on down, I'm not going to take the time to read all these verses, but if you read starting about verse 8 and go all the way down uh, to about verse 18, the verses that we skip, man, it gives a description of Christ and, and what he's doing and how he's walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks, the churches and such. And so we, the things which you have seen, that's of course is now past for us. Secondly, the things which are, you see that in verse 19? 
the things which are. Now that is past for us, but that would have been current then. When he says are, he was talking about that time, okay? That would have been back during the first century. And then he addresses, beginning at chapter 2 all the way through chapter 3, this has to do with those two chapters, the things that are, all right? The thing, you can write that under your outline, chapter 2 and 3. Well, he deals with seven churches. Now, these seven churches were seven literal congregations of believers located in ancient Asia Minor during the first century. That would have been modern-day uh, Turkey area today. And while they were seven literal congregations, I believe they're also symbolic of seven time periods of church history, beginning with the church on the day of Pentecost when the church had her beginning. The church didn't begin until the book of Acts. Amen? It's when we had our birthday. People say, I find the church in the Old Testament. No, it's not there. It began on the day of Pentecost, and it represents the beginning of the church until the church is taken up, until the church is removed in the rapture when the Lord comes in the air. Amen? And he mentioned seven churches there. I promise you, I'm not going to read all about them, but the first one's the church at Ephesus. That's chapter 2, verses 1 through Seven. And you know what he, the basic message is to that church? He says, remember your first love. It was an exciting church. They were doing a lot of good things, but they had a problem. And the Lord Jesus sent this letter to be read to these churches. And Jesus said, I see something about you. He said, yeah, you're busy. You're doing a lot of good things. But he said, you have left your first love. In other words, I'm not first in your life. I'm not Lord of your life. Friend, have you left your first love? Jesus condemned this church for that. And he said, you need to return to your first love. The second church is the church at Smyrna, and it's in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, and he tells them to remain faithful because they had been persecuted. And he says, remain faithful in the time that you're in. The third church is Pergamos, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And he tells that church to repent for their false teaching, for their false doctrine. Friends, it does matter what you believe. Amen? It matters what you believe and what you teach and what you here. And then there's the church at Thyatira that's in chapter 2, verses 18 uh, uh, through 29 as well. He says, remain uh, steadfast uh, again against uh, uh, false doctrine and such. There's a church of Sardis beginning with chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, going down through verse 6. And, and that church was the dead church, the dead church. And he's telling them how they've died and they need life. Amen? Man, it's a sad thing for a church to be dead. Those that we have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we ought to be the most alive, excited people on planet earth. Amen? We ought to be. We ought to be. And then the church at Philadelphia, not, not Philadelphia in the United States. Amen? But Philadelphia and Asia Minor, and it had, it has the same meaning, the city of brotherly, uh, love, and he, and he also has a word to them and a promise to them, and that's the church in revival. That's the church what, that was experiencing the fires of revival, and he's saying remain in it. Amen? 
And then finally, the church at Laodicea. That's the one that's talked about the most. And that's the last part of chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And what does he tell the church at Laodicea? They were the lukewarm church. And what did he say to them? He told them to repent of their lukewarmness. He said, look, he said, I know all about you. You're not hot, you're not cold. He said, you're kind of in the middle of the road. He said, you are lukewarm. And he said, that makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. You know what Jesus thinks about lukewarm Christianity and lukewarm churches? It makes him sick at his stomach, amen? And so he condemns that church, but he also challenges them and tells them to repent and a return for, to him that the fires of revival might blaze in that church. All right, so we've seen the things that are, chapter 1, uh, the things that were, the things that are, chapter 2, chapter 3 to 7 churches, all right. Let's go to point number 3, the things that shall be. Now, just right under that outline, future, future. That things that shall be. That is chapter 4 through 22 to the end of the book. <laughs> All right, chapter 4 through 22. Some would say, well, chapter 6 through 22, but I'm going to include chapter 4 and 5 in there with it. The things that shall be hereafter. He's saying, John, I want to show you some things. I'm going to give you a vision, and it's my plan for the world. In, 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 in time to come on what's going to happen and what I'm going to do. All right, well, what's that going to involve? Well, it's going to involve a lot of things. In fact, it's going to involve everything beginning from Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, all the way till the end of Revelation chapter 22. Amen? All of those things. Now, we're just going to, we're just going to highlight some of these things. All right. And so the things which shall be, that is future. So what will, what's the first thing that's going to be there? The rapture of the church. Chapter four. Chapter four. Look at verse one. He said, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were as a trumpet talking with me. And he said, come up here. And I'll show you the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one who sat up on that throne, all right? So what happens here, John is ushered into the presence of God in heaven where he's giving the rest of this vision of the book of Revelation. Now, I believe this is symbolic of the rapture of the church. He is taken up. He's called up. The rapture didn't happen then. I believe it's symbolic of the rapture, which I believe is the next major prophetic event on God's timetable. Amen? I believe that's the very next thing that's going to happen. And I do not believe that the church will go through one minute of the tribulation period. The church is mentioned 18 times in chapter 2 and 3, and after you leave chapter 3, it's never mentioned again until you get to chapter 22 when it talks about the bride, that's the church, never mentioned again. Why is it not mentioned all throughout the book of Revelation? I want to tell you why, because the church isn't going to be here. Amen? The church is going to be removed. You say, what church? The Baptist church? It's going to be all blood-washed, born-again believers. Amen? That's the church. 
That's the true church. That's the real church. We may have our individual congregations, and that's good. That's great. But listen, not all churches, not everybody's converted, not everybody's saved, and he's not coming for a certain brand of church. Some people think because they were baptized in an infant and put in a certain church that they got a free pass to heaven, and no matter what happens, they're going. Nothing could be further from the truth. Amen? Jesus said, unless you're born again, You'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. How do you get born again? Well, a church can't get you born again. They can preach about being born again and tell you how to be born again, but your church membership will not get you to heaven. I don't care if you were sprinkled on as a baby. By the way, that's not even in the Bible. I don't care if any of that stuff happened to you. That won't get you to heaven. You've got to come to Christ through his blood. Amen? Got to come to him. And so when the Lord comes in the air in the rapture, he's coming for his church. He's not coming for Israel. He's coming for his church. He's coming for those who've been saved that belong to him. You say, what is the rapture, preacher? We'll preach more on it this week. But the rapture is that time in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. You can, that, that tells you all about it. When Christ comes in the air, not to the earth, it's the first phase of his coming. He comes in the air for his church, for his bride. And when he comes, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Amen? The dead in Christ will be raised. You say, they're not in heaven. Yeah, they're in heaven, but their bodies are going to be resurrected and joined to their spirit and their soul, and they're going to have a glorified, resurrected body. There'll be a resurrection of the dead, and then there'll be a translation of the living. And so if you're alive and on the earth when Jesus comes in the rapture, and if you're saved, if you're born again, you're going to be translated. You're going to be called up with to meet Jesus in the air. Amen? I don't know about you. That's pretty exciting to me. And that's going to happen in what we call the church age. You and I are living in the church age, the day of the Gentiles, all right? And God, before he sends his wrath, Upon a Christ-rejecting earth, he's going to remove his bride and take her out first. You say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Preacher, the English word rapture is not in the Bible, but the rapture is in the Bible. Come back tonight, and I'm going to deal with it very thoroughly. Believe me, the rapture is in the Bible. Can I get an amen anywhere in the house? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about being called up. Two words, English words. That's one word in the Greek. It's harpazo. You know what it means to be called up. <laughs> it means to be snatched up. It means to seize with force. It means to be kept from danger. It means all of those things. And, and, and before the Bible was ever translated into English, it was translated into Latin. And the Latin word was rapturo. Rapturo. I'm giving you the hillbilly version of it. Rapturo. And the word rapture came for that. And so it just kind of called on as the official name for that event. But it's the catching up. It's when Christ comes in the air to get his church. Amen? And so the rapture of the church. I believe that's represented in chapter 4. And we'll look at other scriptures throughout the week that specifically deal uh with the rapture, like First Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and such, all right? And don't confuse it with his second coming, with his return. Don't confuse the rapture with his return. The rapture's as a thief in the night. All the signs that we're seeing, everybody says, man, we're seeing signs of, of the Lord's coming right now. Yeah, we sure are. Amen? We really are. Well, friends, there's no signs for the rapture. 
None, not even one. All those signs point to his return, his second coming when he comes back to the earth, which we'll look at when we get to the end of this book morning, all right? And so the rapture will be as a thief in the night. It's going to come unexpectedly, unknowing. It could happen at any moment. And that's why you need to make sure that you're prepared and that you're ready. You don't want to miss the rapture, my friend. Amen? If you miss the rapture, you'll be left behind on this earth to endure the worst time in the history of the world with God's wrath being poured out on the world, all right? So you got the rapture of the church and you got the throne room in heaven in chapter 5, the throne room in heaven. And if you read chapter 5, you know what's going on in there? Man, they're having a worship service. It's talking about angels being around the throne. And look at verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels about the throne and beasts and elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I don't know how many that is, but that's a bunch. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say in blessing, honor, glory, power be unto him that sits on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and forever. And the four beasts said amen. And the four and twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. Look back over at verse 5 in this chapter. I shouldn't have skipped over that. There's a scroll that's going to be open. And it says in verse 5, and one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Because they couldn't find anybody who's worthy to open the scroll, which the scroll's going to open up. Everything's going to happen during tribulation. He said, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that's Jesus. That's one of his names. The root of David, the offspring of David, has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. Amen? So we're talking about things which shall be hereafter, future things. All right, well, what's going to happen? The rapture is going to take place. Jesus is going to come in the air and get his church. There'll be a resurrection. There'll be a translation. And the moment that happens, that is going to begin what happens in Revelation chapter 6 all the way to the almost the end of the book, and that is the tribulation period up on the earth. If you were here during Sunday school, you already know that's the 70th week of Daniel, the 70th week, the last week. All six, 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled already. There's still one week left, and that's seven years, by the way, It's still, and that's all yet future. It hasn't happened yet. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. The 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation, the great tribulation, beginning at chapter 6, going all the way through chapter 19. So everything you read in those chapters is yet future. None of it's taken place yet. I take a futuristic approach to interpreting the book of Revelation. There are some that, that believe it's just symbolic of good and evil. Some believe that some, this has already taken place. No, it hadn't. It's all future yet, and it's not symbolic. It's literal. Amen? I take a literal approach to it and uh, on what's going to happen. And so everything in those chapters has to do with a seven-year period up on this earth that's coming in the future, all right? So the church has got to be removed first. So what's it going to involve, all right? Just flow with me here. Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6, and I just want to look at a couple verses uh, here. Look at verse 1 and 
two, maybe. It says, and when I saw the lamb open one of the seals, I heard, as it were, a noise of thunder and one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's the Antichrist. That's the coming world leader who we'll talk about uh, here even more in just a minute. That's him coming forth. He opens up the tribulation. So as soon as the church is removed, what's going to happen? Man, the world's going to be in chaos. It's going to be in chaos. Our nation's going to be in chaos. I don't even know that our nation will even still exist and I'll deal with that more uh, later this week. Uh, But the world's going to be in chaos. And what's going to happen because of a plan that's already in the working, by the way, by the elite globalist of our world right now. It's their plan. It's what they want to accomplish. The world is going to unite together. And it's going to unite together under ten different kingdoms. That'll be several nations in each one of the kingdoms come together. And they're going to need a world leader. And this world leader is going to appear on the scene. And that's him coming out on that white horse. And he is the Antichrist. He is the man of sin, the son of perdition. Listen, he's possessed by the devil. He's the devil's right-hand man, and he is the coming world leader. Amen? Who's going to head up this confederacy of nations. Most of the nations are going to follow him, and they're going to get in line. There's going to be some that, uh, according to the Bible, that are going to rebel against him, but most of them are going to get in line with it, and he's going to control the world. He's going to control the world during that time. And everybody's going to think, man, peace has come. The world is finally united together, man. We're just all one. Well, friends, that's dangerous. Amen? And the world's going to unite. There'll be a one-world global government. And by the way, if you can't see that by just watching the news, that that's on the horizon very soon, you've not been paying attention. Amen? There's already a group of elites who have already divided the world into ten different regions. Already. Man, they're just sitting on ready. They're just waiting. Amen? And so uh, the Antichrist, they've got to have a leader. And he'll have a right-hand man called the false prophet. The Antichrist is really a political leader. The false prophet is a religious leader. And we'll get to him a little bit, both of them more here in just a little bit. So what's going to happen? The Antichrist is going to come onto the scene. The world's going to unite under a one-world global government. There'll be a one-world economy. Cash will be done away with completely. And when we get down to chapter 13, I'll talk more about that. It'll be done away with completely because you've got a one-world economy. There'll be a one-world false religion, amen, which I think is already up on the earth, but there'll be a one-world false religion uh, during that time as well. So what's going to happen after he comes on the scene? War is going to break out. There'll be war breakout, and you see that in chapter 6, verses 3 and four, and if and I don't want you to turn there because I'll bring a message on it uh, one night. We'll talk about the Battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine. 
And we'll talk about Israel today, what's going on and what's going to happen in the future. What's happening in Israel right now is not the Battle of Gog and Magog. It is not, uh, but it could be a prelude to it. And we'll talk about that later, but there's going to be massive war that's going to take place. There's going to be famine, according to chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. There's going to be massive death. Chapter 6, verses, uh, uh, well, all the way, chapter 6 through chapter 8, actually, where it talks about one-fourth of the world's population dying off immediately in a very short amount of time, then later on another third, and there's going to be martyrdom of those who refuse to follow the Antichrist. There's going to be physical disturbances in chapter 6. There's going to be silence in heaven, chapter 8, verse 1, and that's under what we call the seal judgments. Now, here's a good way to remember the book of Revelation. That outline that I gave you, chapter 1, verse 19, right? Then remember this. There are three sets of judgments, okay? Three sets of judgments, and there's seven of each one of them. And, and, the, and the first, uh, the first we, we see uh, is the seal judgments. The seal have to be open, and then those events happen. All right, so you got the seal judgments. That's the first one. goes to about the first part of chapter 8. Then the second set of judgment is called the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments. That begins at chapter 8, beginning with verse 2 and following, and several awful things happen uh, during these judgments. And I want to say this before I go any further. As these different sets of judgments develop, they get more intense every time. You got seal judgment, you got the trumpet judgments, and the last one are the bow judgments that we'll look at in a moment. But they get worse every time. It intensifies every time. And so what's going to happen during the trumpet judgments in, in chapter 8, just look at a verse or two. Look at verse 1. It says, And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about a space of half an hour. In verse 2 it says, And I saw, that's that prelude before it really gets bad. That's the lull before the storm. And I saw the seven angels that stood before God, and to them were given what? Seven trumpets. You see that? And if you read on down here, it talks about what's going to happen. If you read these verses, it talks about the angels sounding these trumpets and what happens on the earth during that time. And here's what happens without us having to read all these verses. The earth is going to be smitten. The sea is going to be smitten. The fresh waters are going to be smitten. The skies are going to be smitten. You think about that. It says that the, the, that the seas are going to turn the blood, the ocean, the fresh waters and the blood will be polluted. It talks about the sun isn't going to give off its light. The moon's not going to shine. How, how would you like to be here during that time? I wouldn't want to be. Amen? It's going to be awful. It's going to be terrible. And it talks about men being smitten, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And then it talks about massive death, chapter 9, verses 13 through uh, through 21, all right? And so those are sets of judgments. And it talks about intense war going on in heaven and even on earth and what happens next before the bow judgments take place. That's when the the Antichrist takes control. He comes on the scene immediately. You see that what's going to happen? He's going to come on the scene immediately as soon as the church is raptured. The world's going to unite under him. He's going to sign a peace treaty between the Arabs and the Jews 
allowing the Jews to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem up on the Temple Mount. I believe it's going to be built right next to the Muslim Dome of the Rock. It's going to be built next to it. And he's going to allow that to happen. Amen? And the Jews will reinstitute sacrifices and all that kind of stuff is going to happen. They don't need that. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. But they're going to do that. The Bible's very clear about that. Because they haven't received Christ as their Lord and Savior. They haven't embraced him as their Messiah. Amen? And they've rejected him. And so that's important to them. But in the end, they're going to discover who the Messiah is. And so the temple's going to be rebuilt. Then all of the wars going to be taking place. I believe the battle of Gog and Magog will break off, break out immediately as soon as the tribulation begins. If not before then. If not before then. And it's going to begin. And there's going to be massive war and all kind of, of awful things happen. And they, these things are the judgment of God. The wrath of God being poured out on Christ rejecting earth. You say, well, preacher, don't you think the church will go through the tribulation and get some of that? Nope, I don't. I don't. Not one, not for one second. And I believe I've got plenty of scripture to prove that. And listen, God's wrath was poured out on his son at the cross for our sins, right? Why would he pour his wrath out on, on his bride, up on his church? Jesus has already taken our wrath. Now, I'll tell you what I do believe. If the Lord tarries his coming much longer, I believe we're going to go through some persecution. That's not the same as the tribulation. Tribulation's wrath. Persecution's altogether, that's already started. It's, it's bad in other countries of the world right now. Extremely bad in other countries, in India and Pakistan and other places where Christians are being killed every day. And uh, we see the persecution coming to America. Amen? They're wanting to eliminate anything that attaches Christianity to it. And, and friends, it's, it's coming. So we may go through some persecution. And so we need to be totally sold out to Jesus. Well, there's another, there's a third set of judgments that's going to happen during that tribulation period. That's the bowl judgments. The bowl judgments, that's chapter 15 and 16 in the book of Revelation, all right? And man, it talks about several things happening uh, during that time, during those bowl judgments. And look at verse 1, chapter 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, and great and marvelous, and seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them is filled up with the wrath of God. All right, And it says, I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, that's the Antichrist by the way, and over his image and over his mark, remember that, and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. You say, well, what's that about his mark? Well, when the Antichrist takes control, if you turn to chapter 13, just back up a page, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, in chapter 13... I may do a message on that whole chapter this week later on, so I'm not going to spend much time here. You see a beast coming up out of the sea. That's the seas of people, the Gentile nations. That's the Antichrist. That's this world leader who's coming. And then if you read down a little bit further, it talks in verse 11, you see another beast coming up out of the earth. That would that'd be represent Israel, the land of Israel, and that's the false prophet. 
That's the Antichrist right-hand man. Well, what's going to happen during that time? We've already said the nations are going to unite, right? We've already said that we'll do away with currency and everything. Well, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be, we're going to be uh, those left behind. I won't be here, by the way. But those who are left behind on the tribulation are going to have to take the mark. Look at verse 16. He calls us all, both poor and small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or their foreheads. That mark means a sticking under the skin. Uh, It could be various different things that no man might buy or sell unless he has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of the name. Here's wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. There's number six score, three score, and six, 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 six. God's number seven, amen? The number of perfection and completion. Man always falls short. And here's three digits, six, six, six. He's the epitome of evil and sin. Well, you'll have to take a mark. And if you don't take this mark, many believe it's going to be a small computer chip that's so small can be inserted on the end of a needle and just be inserted under your skin. And that's, they already have those developed, by the way. They're using them in dogs and, and stuff like that. And, and that could very well be. Uh, it could be something else. But the point is simply this. You know, in the first century, they couldn't have said computer chip. They, they couldn't have said tattoo. They couldn't, they couldn't, they, they, they said there's going to be a mark. There's going to be a sticking, all right? And, and without that, you won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to buy any groceries. You won't be able to get your medicine. You won't be able, I mean, you won't be able to exist. If you take that, you say, well, people ain't going to take that mark. Oh, yeah, they will. And I used to wonder about that, Brother Tracy. I'd think, man, how are they going to get the whole world to just line up and get that mark? And I used to wonder about it. I don't wonder about it anymore. Ever since COVID hit, I see it clearly, clearly. Amen? People are going to do what the government says. And, man, they're just going to line up. They're going to line up. You say, well, I just won't take the mark if I miss the rapture and get left behind. Well, you ought not take it because once you take it, you've signed a contract with hell itself. Amen? But listen, the people who don't take the mark will have to live as fugitives. They'll have to live in hiding. And there's many who will that will survive, but many of them will be killed. They're going to be martyred if they refuse to take that mark. Can you imagine being faced, well, I've got to have food for my children. What are you going to do? Sign the contract with hell if you take that mark, okay? So we see the bold judgments. What happens in it, chapter 15, 16, there's going to be painful boils or sores on people's bodies, chapter 16. Again, the sea's smitten, the river's smitten. There's going to be scorching, uh, chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, because the sun, the ultraviolet rays and such are not protecting. They'll be scorching. Then it talks about darkness up on the earth in chapter 16, verses 10 through 11. And then it talks about, in chapter 16, verses 12 through 16, the Euphrates River dries up. Now, the Euphrates is a major river, Amen. It goes all the way back into the book of Genesis, and it tells us in chapter 16, well, let's just look at it quickly. We're going to finish up here pretty quick. In chapter 16, uh, it tells us here, uh, I'll pick up about verse 12. It says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial up on the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. 
that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Who would that be? That's China. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon. The dragon's the devil, by the way. And out of the mouth of the beast, the beast, the antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirit of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them the battle that great day of God. Talking about Armageddon, the final battle, the battle of all battles. He said, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watch and keeps his garments. At least he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered all together in a place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. I've been to that spot four times. It's the Valley of Megiddo. It's the Jezreel Valley, which is a very, very vast land. And uh, that's where ultimately in the end, uh, the armies of the world are going to end up and the final battle of all battles is going to be fought, which will usher in the return of Jesus. Amen? So you see the bold judgments, three sets of judgment, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments. All right, y'all got that? All right, that's that's how the book of Revelation is laid out. Well, what's going to happen next? The commercial and religious Babylon is going to be destroyed. Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Commercial and religious Babylon. It's just called Babylon. This is the this is what's taken over the world. And uh, like ancient Babylon and commercial, the the economic part of it and religious is going to be destroyed. Amen. And then here's the good part. The return of Jesus back to the earth. Hallelujah. Look at chapter 19. This is it. This is it. Tribulation's coming to a close. Here comes Jesus. He comes out of the air. He comes back to the earth. In the rapture, he just comes in the air, doesn't he? And gets his church. And his second coming, which is actually his return, because it's a return to the earth, he comes to the earth. He comes back to the earth, all right? And in fact, Zechariah chapter 14 says when he comes, he's going to land his feet up on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. And Jesus is going to finish off that battle of Armageddon himself. Amen? And the armies, the pagan nations of the world are going to be defeated as King Jesus comes and settles that battle once and for all, the return of Jesus. Let's just look at some of it quickly, and we got to move on. In verse 11, it says, I saw heaven open and a white horse. Don't confuse this with the white horse of Revelation 6. It's not the same horse. It's not the same person. He that sat upon him is called faithful and true. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he does judge. He makes war. His eyes as a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no one knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him up on white horses, clothed in fine linen, wide and clean. I believe that's the holy angels, and I believe it's the church. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he'll smite the nations and he'll rule them with a rod of iron as he treads the winepress in fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King Jesus is coming back. Amen? King Jesus is coming. What's going to happen after that? Let me give you a couple things. There'll be, there's going to several little things happen after he comes back. But then there'll be a millennial kingdom, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation, you know what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom? First of all, Satan is going to be bound. Jesus himself is going to take him and throw him into a place called the bottomless pit 
Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10. He's going to be bound for a 1,000 years. At the end of a 1,000 years, he's going to be let out for a while. Somebody say, why have we let him out again? Why did they let him out the first time? Amen? He's going to come out for a while, but believe me, he's not going to have victory. He's going to get some followers gathered up through the millennial kingdom because there are going to be people born during the millennial kingdom. Amen? There are going to be people glorified, resurrected bodies, and there's also going to be people going to be born during the millennial kingdom. But Satan's going to be bound. Look at Revelation 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit. A great chain was in his hand. And he laid hold of that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for how long? thousand years. And if you read on down, all the way down to verse 10, it, it gives you more detail uh, about that and talks about those that had the mark upon their forehead or on their head down in verse 4 and such. And so he'll be bound for a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ upon the earth. And, and, and during that millennial reign of Christ, Christ is going to set up his kingdom on earth and he's going to rule and reign. And all of the promises to Israel are ultimately going to be fulfilled. Amen? When you, when you, when you pray the Lord's Prayer the, uh, uh, that, that he taught, thy kingdom come, that's what this is talking about. That's what it's about. You're praying for his kingdom to come. You're praying for Christ to come. There's going to be the battle of Armageddon that takes place before that. We talked about that. And so he's going to return. Satan's going to be bound. There's going to be at the end of the millennial kingdom, there's going to be the final judgment day of God, the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. That's the final judgment. I'm not going to attend that judgment. Neither will you if you're saved. But if you die unsaved without Christ, you'll be at that judgment. You'll be at that judgment, whether you survive or don't survive the tribulation. Amen? You'll be at that judgment. And that's the, that's the judgment of the unsaved. And I'm not going to take time to read all through that. But the bottom line, verse 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. That's the final eternal hell. People are going to be brought, resurrected out of hell and stand before Christ. And then they'll be cast into the final eternal hell, the lake of fire. At the end of the millennial kingdom, the great white throne judgment. Then what's after that? Chapter 21 and 22, a new heaven and a new earth. God's going to destroy the old, all traces of sin. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth with a, with, a, with a heavenly Jerusalem. Amen? I can't describe all that, but you read chapter 21 and 22, and it tells you about it. It gives you great detail about it. A new heaven, a new earth. So look at chapter 22. We need to wrap this up. I want you to notice something. Three times in this last chapter, verse 7, Jesus says, Behold, I come when? Quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Look over at verse 12. Behold, I come what? Quickly. And my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. All right, skip down to verse 20. He that testify these things says, Surely I come quickly. <laughs> Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So three times in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible... He's given a warning. He's given a summary. He says, look, I come quickly. Amen? So you need to be ready 
you need to be prepared for when I come. Now, I know it's late. Let me work in just a few things here very quickly, and then I'll give the invitation. I'm going to leave a few things out because I'm trying to be sensitive to the time. So how do we live live until then? What do we need to do? Well, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14 actually tells us uh, how we need to live. Let's look at it quickly, and I'm going to very briefly just point out some things and move to the invitation, all right? And in Romans 13, verse 11, it says, in knowing the time, it's high time to wake out of sleep. He's talking to the church here. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Look what he says, verse 12, the night is far spent. Folks, I believe we're living in the 11th hour right now. I don't believe we're living in the last days. I believe we're living in the very last of the last of the last days. I believe the time is late. He says, now is our salvation near and we first believe the night's far spent, the day's at hand, right? Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness or chambering or wantonness or in strife or envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. So how can we live? Let me just give you some things quickly, and I'm not going to develop them. I'm just going to give them to you. Number one, we need to be living with dedication to God and his word. Amen? We need to be living devoted Lives, doers of the word, not just hearers, right? Amen? Uh, Secondly, we need to walk in submission to him. Really the same thing, in obedience to God. Thirdly, we need to work diligently. In Revelation 22 and verse 12, uh, where, uh, that we were in just a little while ago, we, we read that verse. He said, I give every man according as his work shall be. And we need to work diligently. Friends, the night is coming. We need to work while it's still day. Do all you can for the Lord because we're running out of time. Next, we need to worship sincerely. Worship sincerely. In 22 verses 8 and 9, remember what happens in those verses? He fell down before an angel because he was so overwhelmed. And what did he say? He said, don't worship no angel. You You don't worship man and you don't worship angel. You worship Jesus. Amen? Worship is to Jesus. We, we, we don't worship angels. We don't worship uh, people. We worship Christ, the living Savior, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. So we need to worship sincerely, privately and corporately. As the church comes together, that's very important. We need to do that. And then we need to witness urgently. Urgently. 22 verse 10. He said what? The time is at hand. We need to witness. Friend, listen, every Christian ought to be a witness. And we ought to be telling people about Jesus, sharing our testimonies, giving them the plan of salvation. And we, I mean, we need to saturate everywhere we go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Get you some gospel tracts and carry in your pocket. I like these by Billy Graham, and there's many other good ones, but have them on you at all times. Be ready to witness and share Christ. We need to witness urgently, and that's a whole message in itself. And finally, we need to be watching expectantly. Watching expectantly. Again, three times he said, Behold, I'm coming. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for hanging with me. First time I preached that message, I didn't know how long I was going to take with it. And uh, But thank you for hanging with me.
As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, friends, we all know the time is at hand. No man knows the day or the hour that Christ comes, and anybody that says they do is a false prophet. Amen? Some guy comes on TV and he says, well, he's going to come on this day, and I'm gonna t- you turn him off right then. You change the channel because he's not God's man. He's a false prophet. And Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. But he did say we could look at the signs of the time and know that his coming is near. And would you say we're seeing some signs of the time? No doubt. No doubt we are. And so we need to get busy and we need to be ready. So as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to answer with honesty, please. You're not going to stand before me, but one day you will stand before Jesus. And I want to ask you, how many of you in this room could say right now, if the rapture happened right now, or if you died in the next two minutes, either one, you know that you know that you know you'd go to heaven because you're saved. Not because you deserve to go, because no one deserves to. Not because you're a good person, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. If you could say that, will you point a hand toward heaven? Say, if I die in the next two minutes, or if the rapture happens the next two minutes, I'm going to go. I've been born again. My life's been changed by Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. God bless you. Several hands went up. Isn't it great to know that you're saved? The most important decision in life. You say, I won't know until after I die. If you wait till after you die, friend, you'll be in hell. You better know before you leave this earth. And friend, I got good news for you. You can know today. For those of you who couldn't raise your hands, which was people in every section this morning, every section. For those of you who couldn't raise your hands, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully, friend. You say, what do I got to do to be saved? How can I know that I'm a child of God? And you're not a child of God if you haven't been saved. God's not your heavenly father if you're not saved. You're not on your way to heaven if you haven't been saved. Not one of your sins has been forgiven, not even one of them, if you haven't been saved. You got to come to the cross. You got to come to the blood. You got to come to Christ. That's what I did, February of 1983. And Christ saved me and changed my life. And the same thing he gave me, he'll give you. You say, I want to be saved. How can I be saved? I'm going to tell you how to be saved. It'll only take me two minutes. Number one, the first step is simply admit to yourself and admit to God that you're not saved. You won't go any further till you cross that bridge. That's the first step. God, I'm not saved. I'm lost. I am a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinners. Amen? And we're sinners by nature. We inherited a sin nature. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to Adam. We got tainted blood. We got his genetics in our body. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by practice. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I met a guy very recently. He told me he hadn't sinned in seven years. And I said, you're the biggest liar I've ever met. Amen? Because he lied right then. That's a lie. There isn't anybody that's lived like that. Jesus is the only one that's sinless. And so admit, I am a sinner. I'm lost. And what that means, friends, right now, if you're not saved, listen, God loves you. And I want you to hear that and understand he loves you. But listen, he can't condone your sin. That's what nailed his son to the cross. He loves you. But you've got to come to Christ. He's made a provision, a way for you to be saved, a way for you to be forgiven. And that's the good news. But the first step is simply admit, God, I'm lost. I am a sinner. And what that means 
is that you're condemned right now. John 3.18 says you're condemned already. It's like the verdict's already been passed. And if you die in that condition, you'll be in hell before the undertaker unties your shoes. So you're condemned. You're separated from God right now. You don't have a relationship with him. You might be religious. We got lots of religious people in America. Most of them aren't saved. Amen? But we got, we got a lot of religious folks. Difference between heaven and hell. All right? So you admit, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need Jesus. Secondly, you got to be willing to repent of your sins. Got to be willing to turn from them. Repentance is a change of mind about your sin, about yourself, and about God. That's what it is. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm guilty, and I'm going to turn from my sin. That's repentance. I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to turn to Christ. It's a change of mind about your sin and yourself. Even a child can repent probably easier than most adults can. Then thirdly, here's the most important one. You've got to believe. You've got to place your faith and trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You say, I've always believed in Jesus. No, you haven't. You might have believed about him, but you haven't believed on him or in him. I believed about Jesus before I was saved, and that won't save anybody. You go out here and knock on doors in this town or the town that I live in and ask people, do you believe in Jesus? 99% of them are going to tell you yes. That doesn't mean they're saved. Most of them aren't saved. The vast majority of them aren't saved. Amen? And the point is they know about Jesus. They believe in his existence. They believe he walked on this earth. They believe he was born of a virgin. All that's good, but that's not what it means to believe on Jesus. Romans 10, 9 said, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It may, it's not just a head belief, it's a heart belief. It means you rest your weight upon Christ. You trust him to be your Lord and Savior. Not believing about him, but believing on him, believing in him. Would you do it? You can do it this morning. Then finally, you need to personally receive him. John one twelve says, to those that received him, to them he gave power to become children of God. Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever, I'm glad he's a whosoever kind of God. God knows all about you. He knows everything you've done, everywhere you've been. He still loves you and he wants to forgive you. And his way to do that is through Christ. Whosoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's what we're going to do right now. I want everybody to just bow your head. I'm going to pray a very short and a very simple prayer. And it's a prayer of repentance and faith. I'm just going to do what Romans 10, 13 says. Whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm going to invite anyone here that wants to be saved this morning, you want to surrender your heart and life to Christ, to pray with me. And I believe God will save you. Now listen, it's not, just, it's not the words that save you. Just repeating a prayer after me or anybody else won't mean anything, friend. It won't even go above the ceiling. But if you're sincere in your heart, This is your way of confessing to God. Yes, I'm a sinner. I need Christ. I want to be saved. And you're inviting him to come into your life. That's that's what it's for. That's what it's for. And he's not going to come where he's not been invited. So you invite him to come into your life. How do you do it? By faith, by believing, by trusting Jesus. It's Jesus that saves you, not the words that saves you. It's Jesus. So right now, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to pray out loud. If you want to pray out loud, that's fine. That's not going to bother anyone in here. Or you can pray just quietly right there where you're seated. God can hear a whisper all the way from heaven because he's God. Or you can come down here. The pastor will be standing down here in a moment, take his hand and say, Brother Tracy, I, I want to get saved. Man, he'll pray with you and lead you to Christ. 
But I want to give you that first opportunity right there where you're seated right now. You say, I don't know what to say, preacher. What would I say? Just say something like this. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost and I need Christ. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. I believe that Jesus was buried and he rose again on the third day to give me eternal life. So, Lord, right now, I place my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. And I invite you to come into my heart, into my life, save my soul, forgive me of all my sins, and change my life. Thank you for saving me just now. Thank you for loving me. Help me to live the rest of my life for you and help me to never be ashamed of you starting today. In Jesus' name I pray. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.